Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Weird in High School. I'm your host, singer-songwriter Breton Lee John. Today on the show, I am delighted to be joined by Sean Burns. Sean Burns is a Winnipeg-based roots artist, a purveyor of vibes, and one of the hardest working musicians in the country. He is often on the road playing everywhere you could possibly imagine playing. I talked to Sean about how the current environment is influencing him in his music and in his daily life. Before I get into this awesome conversation with Sean, I would like to plug my Christmas single, my holiday single, December Drag. It is going to be out sometime in the next week um, on Smoking Ghost Recordings. This is not normally my flavor, but I, I figured I'd do the anti-Christmas single. Anyway, without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Sean Burns. I'm probably going to misquote you back to yourself here, but <laughs> I b- believe your mantra is you can't fail if you keep trying. Yeah, that's it's a line from, uh, from one of the truck driving tunes, the old classic tunes, man, and it's kind of been, kind of been keeping us going all year with the band, you know. So... How long has your career spanned? When did you kind of get into into music and doing what you're doing now on that topic of, of keep trying? Uh, I started uh, making my make, making a living playing music. I mean, I wasn't making a living when I started. I was still I was a kid, but I was, it was my only job. Uh, it's been uh, almost 20 years. 2021 will be 20 years. So I was 17 when I started playing out in, you know, mostly like local cover bands and stuff. Uh, and I started, you know, it was my high school job as I was gigging every weekend locally. And uh, but, you know, when I start, I, I started touring uh, with my own name, like my own band or solo or whatever has been since uh, 2010. And I toured, you know, as a member of bands prior to that. But yeah, so it's been 10 years of just doing my own thing. So what wrong turn led you to becoming a songwriter or just a performer in general, choosing that I mean, life? Uh, I, th- I think like, I'm not really afraid to admit that. Uh, uh, it, I don't know how to say it, you know, <laughs> uh, truly, uh, maybe I'm just a sucker for the attention, you know, who knows? Maybe that's part of it. But uh, I lo- I've always loved the idea of performing, of like, of, of letting yourself be, uh, vulnerable in situations that you might not otherwise be and you know maybe be a, a, a truer version of yourself you know I feel more confident in life uh, when I'm performing than you know any other time of the day you know uh, and I think I've just always kind of been drawn to that uh, my father was a, a full-timer he's a musician his whole life and not a very social guy you know kind of a quiet quiet dude but my mom is very very outgoing so I kind of get 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 it from both of them you know and I just always loved. Uh, I just always loved. I was, there was never like a stage fright thing for me, you know. I just I, I took to it right away. Right, you were. But the wrong turn was your question. So I yeah. think I, I don't think I had. I don't think I had a. Had, like it, it felt like there was no other option. Like I felt like I was going to be a musician. And I remember the very first gig I did. I played in bands a little bit with my father at first until he had sort of been like, okay, you're good enough to go out there, you know. Someone phoned him for a gig, and uh, and he said like, no, I'm not going to play there. That place is that place is a shithole. But like, I think Sean's ready to go. And so, and I remember that weekend clearly, and uh, and thinking, 
there's a moment there where like I was like, is is this really what it's like to be a musician? Like, is this really what it's like? And you, this is your opportunity to either commit to it or like back out. And I knew that I was attracted to the whole thing, you know, the the whole lifestyle, uh, and and the, the challenges of doing it. And then like when things go well, there's no there's no comparing that, you know. And I don't know, man. It's just like just kind of had, had that desire to perform and express myself. And I think that I just, you know, kind of embraced it at some point and said like, this is, this is your path. So there was never really any other thought for you. It was, you, you no, came actually, from your old man doing it and, and it was kind of, I won't take this crappy gig, but, <laughs> but Sean can. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, and I, and it, there's like, like I remember those first times I've ever played live with bands. Like and the very first time I ever played live was like the first band I was in when I was high school. In high school, I was like I was probably fourteen or fifteen, and uh, I just remember the I remember the the, the adrenaline and, and the rush and just loving doing it, you know. So and, and then when I started to get paid to do it, it yeah, it didn't seem like there was any other any any other alternative, you know. So I imagine with taking on that life early that things looked atypical in the rest of your life was there that feeling did, did you ever have that hang up on kind of like so if I'm on the road all the time when do I you know try to get married or did you care about trying to have some of the stability in your life no that I did I did I was really late to that uh to like to to, to thinking outside of um, being on the road and thinking completely outside of myself, you know, like was only responsible for me and myself or the band or, you know, whatever we had on the calendar. And, and I, and I didn't really feel like there was room for anything else, you know, on like a personal domestic kind of side until I got a little older, like into my later twenties. And, uh, I met my wife when I was 29, I think. Yes. Yeah, 29. So, uh, and that's why I, that's how I ended up in Winnipeg is I met her. And then, you know, you kind of can sort of strike a balance. And some of my, my, you know, some of my musician friends, older guys that were married, there was a the handful of them that like really had it figured out, you know, uh, that they, that they were married and they had their lives and, and then they were still musicians and they could still tour. But, you know, you, you have to have like a, a good relationship with someone who understands that your job is going to force you out of town for weeks at a time, or like you'll get a call and you have to do something the next day, you know, you're going to miss things holidays and birthdays so you know you find the right, right person you know, my wife is really supportive uh, she's traveled a lot herself so uh, it's it, it, it just sort of happened you know like uh, uh, yeah I mean it's been great for me it, to sort of expand as a human being that way you know I don't know if you're a Joe Pug song or Joe Pug fan he has a song called I don't work in a bank um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's perfect, right? It is. It is, man. He's great. I I, I saw him in Toronto a couple times. Uh, once he was solo, and once with his trio, and uh, his shows are great. He's he's awesome. His podcast is excellent. Yeah, I'm a I'm a regular listener of the Working Songwriter. Yeah. So living that lifestyle, did you feel like? I mean, evidently you have the romanticism towards it. Mm-hmm. How has not being able to be on the road and doing things impacted your life? It's extremely, it's been extremely challenging. And there's been a couple of moments 
you know, in the last whatever, like they're in the spring and in, in the fall where it was like really hard every day. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's hard when you are letting yourself think about what could or couldn't happen in the future, you know? Um, so it's been, it's been difficult to, uh, at times been difficult to maintain some optimism and some motivation. Uh, but like, I really require, I require a project or require something to do, you know, so much of my time before was spent like booking myself or like doing all these things and not having those things to do right now, uh, really forced me to find some other things to do musically with my time and creatively and stuff. And it's actually been really a good year, uh, in that regard for me, I've done things more this year than I've ever been able to do in a year because I haven't been gone, you know? But it's been a it's been a challenge, you know. But I, I I'm trying I'm trying all the time to to stay positive and motivated and you know hold myself accountable. Like you, you gotta you gotta do the work, you know. Well, and you have stayed busy with things like mm-hmm. the uh, lot of trucking to do record for times yeah. changed. What brought that up for you and kind of got the ball rolling on that? Uh, we always wanted to do a trucking record and like, and, and, and sort of lean into the tradition and the trucking songs with, with Lost Country are in every show. Like there's a few of them per set. Uh, and it was like one of those things I always wanted to do. I, I think if you look back and all the, all the country music singers that I love from the sixties and stuff, they, they all seem to have like, uh, a tribute record, you know, to, to another artist. Uh, and they'll have like a country, uh, country Christmas record. They'll have a gospel record. Uh, you got a trucking record. You know, you got these sort of things, drinking record. So it's like always one of those things that we had talked about in the band. Like we got to have a, a trucking album one day. And uh, things were pretty loosened up here in Manitoba in the summertime. It was like a lot, like it was two weeks of zero cases. And so we were kind of, you know, most for the most part, open back up. And the band was working all summer locally and we had the time and, you know, even though everything was kind of opened up, outdoor stuff was open, indoor stuff, limited capacity, the times changed, did not reopen. And uh, uh, so it was kind of, for us, it was like, let's make this record we've always wanted to make and we'll just put it out online and we'll just give John and the times changed all the money. And uh, so that's kind of what happened. And we, we talked about it in June and like three weeks later we recorded it. Right. I've certainly thought about that kind of thing as far as I hang up on the idea that that say we lose. I mean, you won't lose King Eddie, for example, because it's part of the mm-hmm. National Music Center. But but in Calgary, you know, it's it's Broken City or Mikey's, these kinds of places. And and it would be heartbreaking to lose a place like that. And though I haven't been to Times Changed, um the kind of, I get the impression and absolutely correct me that it's kind of like the owl in Lethbridge where it's really a watering hole that way. Like the spot. It's, it's kind of like the, the blues can. I meant more in the role it played in the community. More in the than, role of community. Yes. But, yes. Yeah. As far as like inside vibe, like, uh, you know, aesthetically, it, it's got the same vibe as the blues can in Calgary, but, but for what you're saying, as far as the community and its impact and its support, definitely, uh, parallel with with the owl. Yeah. I love the owl as well. Yeah. The owl is my favorite place that I've ever gotten to play, but anyway, 
And try, trying yeah. to trying to avoid the the part where you know you dive into the nostalgia of what was and, and, <laughs> and lose yeah, sight I mean, on today. We've been he's been real lucky, and he's been able to able to uh, you know keep keep the club there. We're not we're not open at all, but uh, it's still there and haven't lost it. And so you know if if whatever we made for him helped out, that's you know that's great. That was the idea. You know the band did it. We all did it. Uh, no one nobody. Nobody really got paid for it. We were just doing it for the bar, you know, and uh, we recorded it there. And then we did do a show. We did a show in September, and then they had a, like a handful of shows booked after. They were going to kind of loosely reopen and do one or two shows a week. And then like two weeks after they booked them all, they had to be canceled and we're all like shut down pretty hard now. So, you know, it was nice to get in there and just, you know, do that show put the record out and we had, you know, it's limited capacity. Uh, and we had the whole thing filmed and in a couple of weeks we're actually going to put out a, like a 20 minute video from that show from that night that sort of highlights the times changed and the people that worked there and the band and the truck and record. And, uh, there's a few full songs from us that night and then, then a bunch of behind the scenes stuff and sort of introduce the band members. And so that's coming out on December 15th. Awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, it's cool. It kind of the idea is for the folks that couldn't be at the show and the people that haven't, you know, ever been to the club before to kind of see it, you know, see what it's like and kind of get a feel for the room and and uh, and how important it is to everyone around here. What significance does Winnipeg hold in your career? I've gone down this rabbit hole recently of like Richard Inman and William Prince and even John K. Sampson. Um, yeah. For a city its size, it seems like Winnipeg has a, an absurd contribution specifically to songwriting. What do you feel about that? Honestly, man, like, I, I, I'm, I, I try to figure it out all the time myself. Like, uh, I moved here se seven years ago, uh, and I didn't really play here very much before I got to town because the, the local scene is so strong that it's, like, it's kind of hard sometimes for an out-of-towner to get, to get a show here, you know? unless you've already got some traction. So, you know, you knew that this, that there was, there was like a big base and community here, but I had no idea what it was like until I actually got here. And it's like the list of people that are, you know, very well respected songwriters and some of them commercially successful. Like it's, it's, it's crazy. And I don't know what it is. Maybe a lot of people attribute it to, you know, to the cold, long, hard winters and, uh, I think that I've asked a lot of people the same sort of question, you know, how come there's so many good songwriters and bands here? And it's like, I guess there's always been a, a history of, uh, of a lot of places to play and a lot of opportunity for young bands to do it and work on their, their craft, you know, and it's, uh, it's like spurred this, this just crazy amount of talent here, man. Do you think that isolation plays a role in that uh, like i know yeah. being in calgary you can feel far away from other big cities but winnipeg is extra far away from other big cities extra far away man and you know there's there's nothing like of note for hours and hours and hours and people are really supportive of one another artistically here so you know there's a lot of collaboration and you're stuck here in the winter or you're you know you're here not able to get out of town you, we are isolated so I mean, there's a lot of factors I think that contribute to it. And, you know, there's also a healthy, healthy competition. And when you see other people doing well and, you know, and writing great songs, it inspires you to want to write great songs, you know? I was talking to Carter Felker about that, who's our mutual mm -hmm. friend. And uh, 
I'm going to paraphrase him here, but he said something to the effect of it's because they're not nice to each other, um, <laughs> which I really thought about for a moment. And I thought about that attitude of it's not good enough, get better is something yeah. that I feel like existed in these, you know, say the old Nashville scenes and really like that Delta situation is a lot of people coming from not a supportive upbringing, which kind of makes you have to work double hard. Is, is there any truth to that in your eyes? I, I, I think yes, but I think that if people are, are like, uh, you can approach those situations kindly. Like if someone tells me, you know, no, that's not good enough, do it better. Like, I like to think that they're saying that uh, because, you know, there's a mutual respect there already, you know, or they know, they, they feel like they've been around long enough to know that there's something more there that you're not working hard enough to get. And so instead of just like knocking someone down, I think it's, I think it's part, part of like challenging someone respectfully. And I think that that exists here because I do think that people are nicer to one another here than uh, than almost anywhere else I've been in the country, you know, as far as big cities are concerned. Well, and to not misrepresent Carter here, to me, <laughs> what he meant to say was more that the gratuitous niceties are spared. Um, yes, yes, yes. That's that's like a really good way of putting it. And that's a conversation that he and I have had as well about other places in the country that are, you know, like overly celebratory over, you know, mediocre, mediocre work. So you are the definition basically of a working songwriter and you have a following. Um, was moving to Toronto or moving to Montreal of appeal at some point? Uh, no, moving West always was like, I always, I did better in Western Canada than I did uh, in Ontario or east of, of Toronto, you know, like it was always, always seemed to be uh, people more interested in what I was in what I was doing uh, out west. And moving to Winnipeg was great because I was, you know, much closer to to all the places where I was performing the most. You know, spent a lot of time in Saskatchewan and Calgary is really like 12 hours away from here. It's like it's not so bad. It's it's not you know, Toronto to Calgary is a lot uglier than Winnipeg to Calgary. Right. So, no, I, I never thought about that. Like, um, I, I also, you know, because I'm only ever played music, it, it's like, it's certainly, there's more opportunity to play music multiple days a week in Western Canada than I, I, I thought there, than there would be out there, you know, tougher, tougher go. I, I imagine it's very difficult for the people that were playing music full time in Toronto. Uh, I imagine it's a rough go now. Right. Well, and yeah. I, that's something I've hung up on. I, being from Calgary, I was always like, oh, I should get out of this for lack of a better term. You know, in my, in my mind, it's like this backward hick town where no one cares about anything. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, there's an element of that, but I kind of think that as a creative, that's a bit of a, to me, and I'll ask you if this reigns true for you, um, that, not being in a saturated high rent market is, is probably actually better for someone who's trying to be creative to not be in the trendy expensive market. Yeah, I think so. You get definitely have less distractions. Like, but I mean, if I was like, you know, young, young and like, uh, 
making contemporary sounding music and uh, you know, some measure of hipness to it, then then I could see moving to a big city like Toronto or Montreal being more appealing, you know? It's so hard to know what even has hipness. Like the top listen to Spotify artist this year I haven't heard of. <laughs> yeah, I've looked at like award shows and stuff like that and nominees and, and, and been just like, I, I have no idea who that is. And it's not because I'm actively trying to not be aware, you know? Well, it's interesting too. I even, I was talking to my 18 year old sister and I showed her Kurt Vile pretty pimpin. And to me, like Kurt Vile is the biggest thing on earth right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like in my mind, pretty pimpin's a full on hit. You, the bars I hang out at, it gets played and like yeah. the world I inhabit, it is a hit. And then she, point A, she hadn't ever heard of Kurt Vile and point B, she's like, oh, well, here's this guy, Lil Tecca. And <laughs> I look him up on Spotify and I want to say he had like 16 or 17 million monthly listeners. Bob Dylan has 5 million, I think. Yeah. So this guy I've never heard of has three times the listeners of Bob Dylan. And you got to think that's like, you know, it's, 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 it's a different generation consuming music differently, you know? How do you find with your market and your style that the delivery method matters in terms of, do you find that physical copies are still your way or that band camps more your way or community radio, or is there any, do you find that it applies differently to that style of music than the trends do to other styles of music? Yeah, like I, I think that for the most part, the for for me and for a lot of the other groups that I've we've shared shows with and stuff like that, like uh, vinyl seems to be like your biggest seller off of stage. Um, I still do a lot of shows, like you know, if I do like a a hall show in a small town in Alberta, uh, you know, I know that I'm going to sell more CDs that night than T-shirts or records, you know. And those people are probably going to listen to the CD. Uh, the people that buy the vinyl, you know, a lot of them might buy the vinyl and, and spin it, but they're probably also going to listen to it on Spotify. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, I wonder about that too, because I wonder if you're, you know, a band, a band that is like crushing the streams, like are your people buying physical products too? The Bandcamp this year has been great. Like everyone's been really supportive on the Bandcamp Fridays. It's really inspired a lot of work people to you know make records myself included and uh and people have been really kind on Bandcamp more so than ever you know but there's been no measure because i haven't been able to get to feel play for anyone you know so it's hard to say it'd be interesting to see what happens once we get back out you know like if it looks different if people are still wanting to buy hard copy stuff or if they're going to you know choose to to stream i'm really curious in the first question I'll ask you to lead into the next is, do you see us getting back to kind of the way things were in a way, as in, do you see music festivals happening again? Not next year. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't think so. Like, and you know, I feel like human beings have been through this before and bounced back, you know, and that there's a chance that we get back to where things were. But I mean, I think it would probably take a couple of years, you know, I, it would be nice to be able to, 
to think about touring in the fall a little bit. And even if that looks differently and you're only playing in small rooms or you're only playing for still playing for limited capacity, like, you know, I think that's, that's hopefully uh, realistic. If you had to, if you had to start all over again, like say you put out your first record this year, mm-hmm. but you had the knowledge about the industry and the experience that you have, how would you approach trying to build a fan base in a world that doesn't have touring? It's a good question, right? Um, I mean, you, I, I think that so often everyone's just sort of like throwing it up against the wall and trying to see what sticks, you know? that there's no one method that you could, you know, be used for every single, every single artist. You know, I think it's a bit different for everybody. I think you'd have to focus on, on building it up online. You know, I think you would have to like really target, target the, the streaming. It's, it's kind of painful to say that, but like, if you're not able to get out there and people aren't able to see you, like, I, I don't think that I would just jump to, like, doing live stream shows, you know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't want that to be my introduction to people, unless it was really controlled and sounded and looked really good. Right. Like... You know? Yeah, I think maybe you, you would have to, you would, your focus might be, like, trying to get your music placed in film or television, something like that, you know? Uh, would be, if you're starting right now in COVID-19, 2020... Uh, you'd have to be pretty creative. That is a, it's an interesting thing to try to navigate. Um, And I think that the episode previous to this was Colton from I'm the Mountain. And it's something we talked about is there's certainly opportunities, right? And I've been, I went down this rabbit hole last night of when did vinyl records came out? Well, vinyl records came out in my grandparents' lifetimes. Mm-hmm. And like, so before that, this, this industry that somehow a lot of us are super nostalgic for is really only like a 60 year old industry, which in the scheme of humanity, isn't that old. Yeah. Um, so in a way it is like, well, there, I think there is this tremendous potential to figure out what to do. And maybe there are some advantages like touring is dangerous. There are people get their stuff stolen and they get in accidents and, and it's hard on you. Um, and at the same time you have, like I spend a lot of time watching KEXP sets and tiny desks and mm-hmm. these well-produced forms of shows. So people who don't necessarily come tour Canada. So it's like you can, in a way you have so much access to live music that didn't exist before. So right. maybe that type of thing is the future. What do you think in a world where it's only live streams that, we lose both as fans and as musicians. Well, there's no comparing like the, the feeling of, of seeing it, seeing a band in person, like, you know, that, that you do not get uh, on, on your screen. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how long it was for you without seeing a live band, but I went from seeing, seeing or being a live band, you know, four or five nights a week, every week to nothing for like, three and a half months and the first time I saw a band it was like a really emotional experience you know right so I don't know like I, 
it's it's so hard to top and I, and I think I even I was a little bit sour on myself because like I didn't really realize how impactful that 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 feeling was for me as a as an audience member and then to think that like like you know what we do all the time what we've been doing you know you kind of took it for granted like how how impactful it could be on a certain night to a certain person you know right so that's yeah did I answer your question or am I, am I, am I just rambling? No, totally. Totally. Okay. I, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious in like part of the reason I've started this podcast is just those types of situations where I go down to the King Eddie and, you know, to see my friends Carter and Amy and I meet someone like you or I meet Dennis Bowman and it's this really cathartic experience, at least for me, it's a really validating experience to kind of, you know, live out in the country and feel like the weird artsy kid and then be able to kind of, you meet people who are almost immediately your peers and compatriots. Like, mm -hmm. and that's what we get from a lot of this music too, right? You listen to Towns Van Zandt talk about being heartbroken and drunk and you're like, Oh yeah, that hits me. Yeah. I'm, really curious to see how this change plays out even for the artists that just don't even get to be around other artists let alone play because so i feel like a lot of us are really motivated by those you know by the trucker mentality it's 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 an exciting life to not know where you're sleeping tonight and yeah and drink in whatever bar and meet people yeah yeah i mean yeah because it i mean it's it's like it's not a, it's an, it's, an, it's a bit of an alternative lifestyle, you know, and it's like, I miss certain weird little things about it, but it's also been great to not have to worry about a lot of that stuff too, you know, and to, and, to, and, and knowing that no, no one else is, is out there worrying about it either is like kind of, kind of makes it a little bit easier to swallow. You know, we're all sort of stuck here uh, right now and kind of regrouping. And uh, I miss, I miss like, the 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 high highs and the low lows of of doing the job but it's you know it's i haven't spent this much time in one place as an adult ever so that's that's been uh, it's been good it's been challenging but it's been good too do you see the next generation i guess this is a little redundant to the previous questions but do you have hope that the next generation will be able to go have those experiences of, you know, getting shafted by a promoter on a Tuesday night. Yeah. I think that's always going to happen. <laughs> it's, it's, if you're in any kind of creative pursuit, like it's sort of the, it's sort of the curse is like, you know, you're, you're probably more often than not like underpaid and undervalued. And, and that's just like, I, I, I don't think that that, that'll ever change. I think it just will look different, you know, and it, it'll look different for, for new bands. And maybe this is an opportunity for everyone to sort of rewrite the script and, you know, their own and, and the collective one and, uh, and things, you know, improve a bit. But I think, I think, yeah, I think those things are going to happen again, you know, and maybe just not for a little while. And especially as venues are it's hard enough for a lot of them to stay open. It's like, you know, maybe there's false starts when we reopen too. Who's, who's to say? It's like dangerous to think about it, I think. Right. You know, because it would be great to, to, be at, to be on the road. But like, I think how long until 
people are comfortable, you know, being in a different hotel every day too. Right. Yeah. It's a lot of variables. Well, and to not go insane, you kind of have to take it a day at a time, which, which I find you do in general with music at all. You can't worry about if your streams are going to drop tomorrow. <laughs> you know, <you'll>... No, <laughs> no. That's a losing it's, battle. It's it's like the, it's just up and down. Like it's, it's, it's up and down. I think you got to have really thick skin. Like you got to be like, you got to be ready to hear no a lot. Like you got to know, you know, it's, it's tough. Even when you, when you have those moments where you're not, believing in your in yourself or your work as much as you used to and you just sort of remind yourself why you're doing things and and what really matters you know and it's like it would be great if 16 million people streamed uh your shit you know it would but like it's i i think and maybe maybe i'm naive but i don't think so but i think what matters is 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 how much you know if you're proud of the work and if you know what you're doing is good or the, at least the best you can do you know Right. And so, yeah, that's kind of like I have this conversation a lot with uh, with Grant who plays guitar with me. Uh, he plays with Corb as well. He's been in Corb's band for like 15 years. Um, so he's seen it all and he like slums it with me when he's home and then he plays with Corb and it's a it's a great gig. But his whole thing has always been the same. It's like, you know, we're playing music that we like, like we're not, you know, we get to play music and we get to play music that we like, that we believe in. And that in its in itself is is uh, is a success, you know. Right, and it's that, not compromising. Well, and that seems to be an overarching theme. Is that? I mean, I'll quote Gillian Welch every day of my life until I die, probably. <laughs> but you know, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it anyway. Um, yeah. No one starts. I mean, you're if some people might, but it, that'd be a pretty bad plan. If you want. A Range Rover. I can't think of a worse way to try to make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> than to say I'm gonna write songs and play them and try to convince people that what I'm saying is worth hearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is like you know, I I said this the other day. I was like, just because you can sing and play a little bit, like does doesn't mean you deserve an audience. You know, you gotta be gotta be able to accept that as well and still forge ahead and, and, and do, and do what you want to do. You know, I think if you're doing what you want to do and you're doing it honestly, uh, that people hear that and respond to it. And, and, uh, maybe you just got to keep doing it, uh, for long enough that, you know, that's always been my thing is, you know, just going to keep doing this long enough. I'm not going to go away. You know, people are going to be forced to pay attention on some level. Was there a struggle for you starting out to build an audience? Like, did you have a turning point where all of a sudden one day it was like, okay, this is a thing that I kind of understand now. Understand? What do you mean? In terms of building and having enough people in each town that are going to come see you. I, I mean, that's still a struggle sometimes, man. And like, and, and a lot of, other people I know that play the same rooms. It's like, you know, just because there was like a, you did a great show and sold out the room last time. It's like, it's not a guarantee you're going to do it next time. And I think that that's part of partly there. I think early on, uh, I just, I just always had that mentality. Like 
I'm just going to keep going back to these places and playing them and, 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 and more people will come, you know, and early on we used to hammer the same time. We used to play Calgary all the time, like all the time. And then people started coming, you know, more and more people started coming. It's sort of like always had that mentality, you know, like I don't know any other way to do this other than just continually show up and play and try and try to be consistent. Right. Like, and I don't know, there's got, you know, there seems to be different ways to do things now, you know, you know, I'm sure that there is smarter ways and depending on who, you know, what your audience is and who you're targeting, like, uh, there's probably different ways to go about it. But I was always like interested in, in, in doing the shows, like as many as I can do as many nights as possible in as many places. So we just kept coming back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And, uh, and you know, like some 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 months are really great and some are less great timothy showalter talked about trying to explain the ebbs and flows to his wife and described it as basically like getting fired from a job every single day <laughs> every time a venue doesn't respond to your email or that you lose a gig or do you does that resonate with you I mean, maybe at first it was a little harder. Like it's it's harder to accept those things at first and and uh, not not take those rejections or unanswered messages personally. And uh, it's like it sort of becomes just part of it for me. Like I don't I, I don't give that too much attention, you know, uh, as as much as I used to because it's like I got to focus on the things that I can control. But it is really up and down. Like like that's kind of a perfect way you know, getting fired from a job every time. Like it's, I kind of laugh, but like, you know, I think you gotta be a little sick too. Like, I kind of like it. I kind of like that little ballet that we play, like trying to secure dates and, 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 you know, venues and attention and stuff like that. Like, I, I, I mean, I grew to kind of sickly enjoy it, I think. Well, it's almost a degree. The only way to, to not be driven to madness and destruction by it is almost a degree of sociopathy, right? Like you almost, mm -hmm. you have to become detached enough to, yeah. and almost kind of egotistical about it to be like, ah, oh, well, whatever, fuck them or just who cares next one. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's not to say that you don't continue to try to play the same place, like, you know, the place that you want to play or, you know, uh, but, you know, I mean, all I ever wanted, was just an opportunity and i always felt like especially the last few years like if you just you know i just need a chance to play and i know that once we do it like you know even if you don't like the music you're not going to be shortchanged on the performance and you're going to find something that you can that you'll like out of this and here's the reason why uh why we should be playing there you know it doesn't always work and yeah like you can't really get hung up on on that that's going to happen i think no matter how famous you are you could be a huge band and i think you're still being you know wondering why it's not where you think it should be well, even ben gibbard death cab for cutie talks about like to this day he still kind of thinks he should go to grad school <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like you think of that and you're like ah oh, man like that guy must have a pretty good life and it's like he's you know he's probably thinking the same thing about someone else Right. And he talks, he's self-aware about it. He talks about having platinum records on his wall, but he's mm -hmm. like, I don't know that tomorrow it's gonna, 
that that tomorrow anyone will listen to her music? No, and it's because wildly inconsistent. It really is, and so it's. I think it means it's probably it's the same for any artist, I guess. You know, so it's weird to be in these times. Like, there's a lot of musicians that I know, a lot of friends of mine that are like, uh, I'm making the same amount of money every month now, and I've like never had that in my life. Right. You know, it's so. Yeah, man, it's 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 the hot and cold situation, and you have to be you have to be in 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 for it, you know, and prepared. I think to to accept the disappointments because there's always going to be disappointments. I kind of you know, I guess, you know, I kind of I'm kind of comfortable suffering. I think years of being on the road, and uh, you know, crushed crushed dreams here and there. Feel comfort in the suffering and and. Uh, and laugh it off. Well, and you even, it's easy to get wrapped up in the concept that there is meritocracy in the world. Um, <laughs> that like this matters and I care so much. Um, for, for me, I think of Karen Dalton or Jackson C. Frank, these people that, you know, their records sell a ton now after those people died homeless. Um, yeah. And and now you go to record stores and it's like this clout to be like, oh yeah, Karen Dalton, I know her whole story. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and so kind of leading from that idea of recognition into the artist's lifestyle, doing it as long as you've done, have you had to contend with, it seems like there's this kind of trend of the broken soul is what seems to be attracted to the life we put ourselves into. And it seems like the only people that can actually get longevity out of it are people that either become sober or just sustain or never fell into kind of the trap to start with. Has that been something to contend with in your long career? Uh, like those, those elements of, of the, of the struggle. Yeah. The kind of the, you basically the booze and drugs of the road dog, like. Yeah, because like, well, yeah, I, I stopped drinking almost four years ago now. Uh, after like, you know, being enthusiastic about drinking and hanging out for fifteen years, uh, I think it's. I mean, for me, it was just. Uh, it was, it was definitely in the way, you know. Like I, I couldn't, I don't have a healthy relationship with it. Like I can't, I couldn't ever slow myself down. And it definitely got in the way, drinking got in the way of, of like getting business done and, and being, and, you know, and I probably thought I was better than I was. And then stopping drinking kind of puts it in perspective, you know, and I've become much more consistent and productive since I stopped. And I wish that I could like have some wine with my meal or, or a beer in the summer, but I just know that I can't. Uh, so, but I mean, that was a, a part of me, like before I went on the road, it, it just exasperated when I was on the road and especially when I started performing solo, it was just sort of part of the, part of the thing, you know, buy me a drink, I'll play you the song kind of thing. Um, until it got in the way. So, I mean, yeah, I fell into that a little bit, you know, well, I, I fell into it for real, but, uh, luckily not, not anymore. And it's so entrenched in the industry. It's like, you know, well, when you're taking gigs, it's like, yeah, a hundred dollars and two beers. And you're like, Oh, well two beers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, it's, uh, it's a part of, it's a part of the world. It's, it's a, it's a center point of, of society. It's like 
and I didn't realize a lot of things that when I was drinking that I that I realized after, like how much of a role it plays in in everyday life for a lot of people, and and uh, and like I said, like I, I mean, I wish I, I wish I could be responsible, but I I just don't think that I can. I haven't. I have proved that I couldn't. Uh, but yeah, it changes things for sure. Like the amount of the gigs where it was like, especially on the road, like here's this, you know, Monday night gig and it doesn't pay very much, but like you can drink for free and there's a room. It's like, I, uh, yeah, I used to love that stuff, but it's not sustainable for w when you're, when you're full time, I think, you know, like full time, uh, partying and full time touring. Like I, I just, it's just not a really sustainable life. Do you think that that kind of impulse ties in to what makes good creative people too? Like I've thought about that. It's almost the same reflex when you see your ex at the grocery store and you're like, well, now I have to stop what I'm doing and write whatever I thought about seeing my ex at the grocery store into a song. Yeah. Does that to you seem like the same type of, reflex that's also like well time to do the thing you know I, i'm not unless yeah. i subject myself to torture to hash the song out the emotion won't come through like i don't know if that's if that's true and i and i don't know if it's not true like i've heard a lot of people say you know people that have sober people say like you know they've never been attracted to that sort of you know the the like sad drunk guys you know singing these songs these emotional sad songs and, and part of his whole thing is you know he's a drunk or whatever it's like some people completely reject that you need to have that sort of you know suffer and uh, and struggle to write good songs and i don't really know where i stand because i mean there's a lot of people that have a lot of problems that wrote some really great songs and like would they have written those if they were clean like i don't know you know but I also think it's dangerous because then it becomes a bit of a crutch. Like it's like, you know, and, and it can't be your identity. But I think the people that really write great songs, like are, we're going to write them anyways, you know? Right. That's what I think. And, you know, maybe you hear things differently or, you, or, or things are interpreted differently if you're using whatever. And that's no, there's no denying that, but you know, I don't know if it's essential for you to, to, to have those problems, uh, you know, to, to be able to write great material. Well, and I, I think take Jason Isbell, for example, he, it was only after he kind of gave up the road dog mm -hmm. idea. I almost think of it as, as a religious subscription. Cause it just, it's so somehow you get into, you're like, I'm a songwriter and now I wear, match denim jackets and uh and i need to have a pack of canadian classics in the front pocket mm -hmm. um so i think that there's i'm not asking these questions because that's what i believe but i think it's an interesting part of the lifestyle and something especially in the type of music you know with your emphasis on kind of the lifestyle and i'm gonna probably butcher the name of your record music for Honky Tonk Spars and Taverns. Yeah, Taverns, Spars and Honky Tonk. There you go. Um, yeah. So that, that's where I was curious to ask you about this is just because there's, I listen to that music and identify with the romanticism with the lifestyle, but with the lifestyle comes kind of this territory of the 
tortured songwriter, you know, traveling town to town with a guitar and a two six. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, uh, what attracts me to like the Texas dance hall, honky tonk music is the culture around, around the, 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 the dancing. The, the, and, and that record uh, was like, sort of like I, the idea of that record was like, here's your, here's your soundtrack for dancing and, drinking and romancing like to we're here to facilitate a good evening and this is music that it's gonna inspire you to dance and drink and let loose and even though you know none of us on stage are drunk it's like we still want to facilitate this environment and give people a good time and you can do that you know i think you can do that and you can be clever about it and you can be uh, respectful to the styles and to the art form and uh and, 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 and you're giving people a good time. Cause that's ultimately for me, like more than writing songs or anything like that, like I want to perform for people. And if 50% of the songs I perform are cover songs or songs that my friends wrote, like I don't care because I feel like it's my job to, to give people a place where they can let loose and, and have a good time and forget about shit, you know? And that's kind of been my focus and, and, and my role uh, as a, as a musician and a performer, but, but, you know, more than, than being the like wake up in the morning and write and try to write songs every day guy, you know, I've wanted to be, wanted to be like, uh, the, the ringleader, you know, at the party. Right. So it's more about creating an atmosphere through performance for you than it is about basically these diary entries. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and, but those songs and the, and that thing is, is still a important part because like maybe those are things for me that I'm, I'm getting out in songs that I'm not getting out in, in daily conversation. And maybe it sort of helps inspire those conversations and makes my life and the people around me better. So like, I do spend a lot of time writing songs that are not meant for, you know, for the, the dive bar, like, and I put out the solo record in June which was, you know, well received and I'm really happy with that. And that's a totally different sort of thing than the band, you know, and I've been focusing on writing here more the last couple of months than I, than I have in quite a while and uh, kind of, you know, centered more on, on sort of that, like what you said, sort of that like uh, journal entry kind of thing, you know? What's your approach recording things? Are you a studio guy? Or are you a home studio guy? I'm curious with the volume of content you put out. Um, well, I never really enjoyed recording until the last few years. Uh, the, the Taverns, Bars, and Hockey Talks record, we rented a cabin just outside of Winnipeg, and we all lived up there and recorded uh, up there. Scott Franchuk from Edmonton came out from Riverdale, Riverdale Recorders and uh, engineered and recorded us there. And we all lived there for like a week and made the record in the cabin. That was really cool. We, just, we still play, played live, the four of us. Uh, and I sang in, uh, with the band or two track live. And then the Bakersfield record and the trucking record, we were set up at the times changed during non-operational hours. And we just played like the band plays and we recorded like that. We were you know, much more spread out for separation and stuff. And then the solo record I put out in June, I just recorded that at my house. Yeah. I recorded all my parts at the house and sent them out to other people that overdubbed on them from their respective homes. And there's like 10, 10 other musicians on that album, musicians and singers. It kind of seems like the way that things are going and 
it's interesting because it gives you some opportunities for maybe some comfort and some vibes that wouldn't otherwise happen, but you also lose the chemistry of being face to face with someone. Yeah, there's nothing like that. And the Lost Country records are live, uh, all of them like live off the floor like that. And and that is uh, that is not to say like to pump our tires or anything. That's to say that there's absolutely uh, absolutely uh, bumps and bruises on some of those performances and. You know, maybe you could have sang something or played something better, but the part of our band and what we're doing and trying to accomplish live is the same thing we're recording. Is like, it has to feel good and it's real. It's, it's it's four or five, six people playing music together, and it's not it's not going to be perfect. We're not trying to make that kind of record, you know. Uh, and like, maybe we will make a record like that someday. But for the ones that we got now, it's like. We're playing live and, and, and you're getting that exchange with one another. Like we made that trucking record. We hadn't played together since March and we got together in July and it was like, it just felt so good. Like just to play with everyone and see them, you know? Right. And like that, you know, you, you don't get that when you're mailing, emailing in tracks and stuff, you know, but it's a different kind of excitement. Like I would send the song out and whoever would send me their part back. And it was like, wow, it's really great. You know, it's really fresh for me. They've probably listened to it and labored over it for three hours. And I'm going to listen to the song for the first time that they did from their house, like in their underwear, recording from home. And uh, it sounds great. So that's, that's kind of an excitement to that. You could be a little bit more picky with the way things sound at the final, final mixes and stuff. But yeah, all that to say, man, like I love recording with the band, like live, like, you know, just laying it out like that. But it's also been kind of cool to, to do things a little bit differently too. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. Um, Thank to, you, man. To lead out, is there anything that you're working on or that you want to plug or anywhere you want to send people? Yeah, there's a couple of things. Uh, tomorrow, December 4th, is uh, the release of a compilation record from The Times Changed called We Still Got a Lot of Given, Living to Do. Sorry. And uh, I helped produce and coordinate that. And we recorded some, some new songs from some bands that are on there. And there's some existing songs on there. There's 29 different acts from Winnipeg. Uh, so that's coming out tomorrow online and uh, CDs as well. And uh, on December 15th, uh, we've got our Lost Country Honky Tonkumentary film coming out to celebrate, uh, you know, the community and the trucking record and the band and uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's what's going on. And then we'll see, man, we're going to, I'm trying to write some tunes. Hopefully if we can get together as a band and early in the year, we'll uh, maybe, maybe record some stuff again. We'll see. Awesome. Yeah, man. Hey, thanks a lot. This has been cool. Thanks so much for tuning into this podcast. Remember, if you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Please share it on the internet. Help us get people listening. If you want to be on this podcast or you know someone who would be well-suited to the podcast, there is a contact form on SmokingGhostRecordings.com. You can find Sean Burns on Instagram at SeanBurnsMusic or at Bandcamp, SeanBurns.Bandcamp.com. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week for a conversation with Colton from I Am The Mountain.